Hello and welcome to Abimus Papam, episode 212, Alexander VI. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis! Annuncio Vobis! Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum! Gaudium Magnum! Gaudium Magnum! Abemus Papam! So, if you thought last week's Pope was bad, get a load of today's. Our Pope today was born Rodrigo Borgia on January 1st, 1431 in Savia, Spain, just outside of Valencia. His mother and father were both of various branches of the Borgia family, and you've heard that name not only because of the TV show The Borgias, which is about today's Pope, but also because of Rodrigo's uncle, the brother of his mother, Alfonso Borgia, who was the Archbishop of Valencia at the time of his nephew's birth, and would later become Pope Callistus III, who we learned about a couple episodes ago. His uncle promoted his ecclesiastical career from an early age in Valencia, and eventually Rodrigo was sent to Italy to study canon law. Now, if you remember from the episode about his uncle, Pope Callistus III was not from a major noble family, nor was he a particularly influential cardinal, but he was one of those compromise candidates, which we've seen so frequently. When the major candidates are unable to garner a majority, the cardinals would often turn to someone who was perceived to be just a good, holy, apolitical choice. And Callistus was that man. He was, if you remember, a particularly decent pope, but the ubiquitous practice at the time of papal nepotism comes into play, and Callistus was certainly not immune from this fault. So, with his election, Rodrigo was very quickly given assignments in the papal chancery, and he was named a cardinal in pectore in February of 1456. He was the Cardinal Deacon of San Nicolo in Carcere, and he only went up from there. He was eventually made the Cardinal Bishop of Albano in 1471. He was given all sorts of benefices and incomes, but most importantly, he was named the Vice Chancellor of the Holy See in May of 1457. This was a key position both in terms of the exercise of power, but most importantly in the accumulation of wealth. And Cardinal Borgia made full use of the opportunities for accumulating wealth um, and, and, and amassed a huge fortune. His uncle used him as well for diplomatic missions, and he gained prestige and experience in papal affairs. Now, as we heard a couple of episodes ago, Cardinal Borgia was instrumental in the election of his uncle's successor, Pius II. Now, despite that, Pius didn't trust him and held him in a pretty low regard. He tried to dilute Cardinal Borgia's power in the papal chancery by bringing up more of his own countrymen to work in the chancery. He also publicly reproached Cardinal Borgia for his immoral lifestyle, which brings us to one of the things that, unfortunately, we have to talk about. And if you've heard about the Borgias before this, this is what you've heard about. In 1470, during the pontificate of Pope Sixtus IV, Cardinal Borgia started an affair with a married woman, Venezia de Catani. Cardinal Borgia had already had many affairs and a couple of living children, but this one would prove to be longer lasting and lead to the birth of four of his most consequential children, who we will certainly be talking about in this episode, Cesare, Giovanni, Lucrezia, and Geoffrey. Now, during the election following the death of Pope Sixtus, Cardinal Borgia worked to secure his own election as Pope, and he did so with some shady means, bribery, pressure, etc. But it wasn't enough. He was opposed by Cardinal della Rovere, who had a bigger faction because his uncle had appointed many of, so many of his own family as cardinals. And so Borgia came to a compromise with the opposite side and helped enable the election of Pope Innocent VIII. But that compromise wouldn't last. Cardinal Borgia led the opposition to the Pope in his conflicts with Naples and Spain. Now, during Pope Innocent's pontificate, Cardinal Borgia hosted the wedding of Orsino Orsini and the stunningly beautiful Julia Farinese. Within months, he had started an affair with Julia, which, again, would have 
important consequences later on in the story. Julia was incredibly influential, and the affair wasn't covered up at all. Cardinal Borgia just basically lived with impunity. And if you need something from Cardinal Borgia, everyone knew you first went to Julia. Which brings us to the papal election of 1492. Cardinal Borgia again resorted to shady means, very probably bribing many of the cardinals to assure his election. There's one story which has since been discredited, but it, it kind of gives a sense of how people at least felt about this election, which was that he sent at least four mule loads of silver to Cardinal Sforza of Milan, who was one of the leaders of a major faction in the College of Cardinals. And his turning towards Cardinal Borgia is what enabled uh, Cardinal Borgia's election. The election was set and took place on August 11th, 1492. Cardinal Borgia was elected and he took the name Alexander VI. Now, the first major event we have to talk about for Alexander's papacy is a conflict involving Naples. Naples has bounced around so much over the last 20 or so episodes, it's hard to keep track. But at this point, the Pope was suspicious of King Ferrante of Naples and was listening more to his prime advisor, Cardinal Sforza of Milan. Milan was historically opposed to Naples. And so worried about threats from Naples, he made an alliance with the northern Italian states and sealed the alliance by marrying his daughter, Lucrezia Borgia, to one of the Sforza family. Now, this heightened tensions in general in Italy, and Alexander used the ambition of the French king, Charles VIII, who wanted Naples for his own, to help put pressure on Naples. Then, King Ferrante of Naples died, and his son claimed the kingship. In the meantime, Pope Alexander wanted to shore up his support in Rome, and he created 12 new cardinals who would be more loyal to him. Included in the consistory were his own illegitimate son, Cesare Borgia, as well as the brother of his mistress, Alessandro Farinese. Now, this made the cardinals who generally opposed the Pope, the followers of Cardinal Giuliano della Rovere, furious, and it was incredibly scandalous at the time that the Pope would name his own illegitimate son and the relative of his out-and-out mistress to the cardinalate is just insane. Now, Charles VIII started marching through Italy on his way to Florence, and Pope Alexander got nervous. As the army neared Rome, the Spanish convinced him to switch sides and back the young Alfonso II, the son of King Alferrante. He had his own nephew, Cardinal Borgia, go crown him King of Naples, which then really ticked off the French. And so the Pope was really in the French king's bad graces, but he couldn't do anything to stop him, so King Charles marched right up to Rome with his army and besieged the city. Now, the Pope refused to back down. His opponents, however, tried to take advantage of the situation. Cardinal de la Rovere stood out with the French and demanded the Pope's resignation, saying he wasn't validly elected as Pope. And this caused a little schism in the College of Cardinals. Now, the Pope withstood the king, who eventually just moved on to take Naples. And he was then eventually beaten off by an alliance of Spanish and Austrian kings and was driven back to France. But the real reason to tell this whole story is what happened along the way. When Charles VIII entered Florence, the city was already captivated by the zealous preaching of a Dominican friar named Girolamo Savonarola. Savonarola stringently condemned the excesses of Renaissance Italy, the lack of morals, and the focus on secular pursuits over the things of the Lord. He was a reformer and passionate, and the people started listening to him. After the French king passed through, the Medici family were expelled by the people of Florence by, in part, this zealous new uprising brought about by Savonarola. And a new constitution was inaugurated in which the whole city would belong only to Christ, and the governing decisions would take place through the working of a city council. Savonarola wasn't the main person in charge, but his preaching carried a lot of weight, and he was definitely kind of the, the leading impetus for this movement. And now more and more he was preaching about the corruption of the clergy and even the corruption of Pope Alexander VI. Finally, his influence caused Florence to side with the French against the Pope, 
and the French, and with the French, he called for a general council questioning the Pope's authority. Now, this was just too much for Alexander, who had been trying to negotiate with Savonarola, but he hadn't been able to do so. He had sent a priest to investigate the charismatic friar, and he eventually required that Savonarola ceased preaching. And he agreed to do this for a short time at least, but eventually returned to the pulpit and began denouncing the Pope again. And the Pope was pretty tolerant with Savonarola. Apparently, he even tried to bribe him by secretly promising to make him a cardinal if he stopped preaching against him. But he had to respond in the end. The Pope asked that Florence turn him over to the papacy for his disobedience and schismatic preaching. And while Savonarola was willing to go all the way against the Pope, Florence wasn't. The people started to abandon him, and eventually he was put on trial in Florence and put to death. Now, you shouldn't think that Pope Alexander at the time of the conflict with Savonarola was flagrantly opposed to reform. Actually, it was pretty much the opposite. Despite all the portrayal to the contrary, there's this one weird part of Alexander's story where he started to repent and seek reform. Now, it happened like this. In June of 1497, his oldest son, Juan the Duke of Gandia, was murdered. We don't know by whom. Some suspect his own brother, Cardinal Cesare Borgia, but there's no proof anyway. His body was found in the Tiber, and the Pope was absolutely devastated. And he saw it as a sign from God reproving him for his sinful life, and he started preaching these kind of dour homilies about reform and penance. Now, the Pope's penitential mood and sorrowful preaching inspired the, uh, the court to kind of have similar meditations. And one of his cardinals, the French cardinal, cardinal, and apologies for the pronunciation, Jean Bicarez de la Guaylas, he was inspired by the Pope's preaching to commission a young 22-year-old artist named Michelangelo to carve a scene of the Blessed Virgin Mary holding the body of Christ, now recognized as one of the most important sculptures in, wor in the world, the famous Pieta. Now, the Pope's newfound zeal for reform prompted him to impanel a commission of cardinals to find a way to reform the excesses of the Roman Curia. And these six cardinals came up with a pretty good bull of reform, but it was never published. By the time they had finished, Alexander had lost interest and no longer was for reform. Now, the French incident and the death of his son taught Alexander not to trust anyone but his own family, and the rest of his pontificate will be dominated by the scandals and the plans of his children. Cardinal Cesare Borgia renounced his cardinalate once his older brother died in 1498, and he decided to marry a French princess and basically made his father make it happen for him. And that would be the story for the rest of his papacy. Cesare was really the one in charge, and it didn't matter what Cesare wanted. If it wasn't good for the church or the papacy, it's what Cesare wanted, and that's what's going to happen. The papacy was now allies with the French because Cesare wanted it. And the other players in papal politics was the Pope's own daughter, Lucretia. It wasn't expedient for her to remain married to a family member of the ruling family of Milan, especially now that the Pope was allied with France through Cesare. So the, so the Pope forced through a civil divorce and, and an annulment and made Lucretia marry the son of the king of Naples. Now, when Naples was no longer necessary for Cesare's political fortunes, Cesare had Lucretia's husband assassinated, and the Pope found out about it, but he totally tolerated it. He was that wrapped up in Cesare's will. Now, next, Cesare wanted to conquer Romagna, and he needed the support of the Duke of Ferrara, so Lucretia was married to his son to secure that alliance. And Cesare marched his forces into Romagna, and the Pope named him the Duke of Romagna. But the French were starting to get a little wary of Cesare Borgia, who seemed to be getting a little bit too big for his situation. And so Pope Alexander looked to other countries to start serving as supporters of his son. And he tried to bribe Spain into supporting him by naming a ton of Spaniards cardinals. And many of the new cardinals were named cardinals because their positions were bought to help finance Cesare's conquests. 
It was in 1503, after naming his last batch of cardinals, however, that the Pope caught malaria, and he died on August 18th. His pontificate was one of the most scandalous since the Reformation of Gregory VII at the end of the Dark Ages, and it was dominated by his children and paid little attention to the spiritual needs of the Church. Pope Alexander VI was buried in St. Peter's Basilica. He was succeeded by the brief pontificate of Pope Pius III, but we will talk about him next time. Thank you for listening to our Bainless Popham. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.